Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times. I'm your host, Kevin. Sad Times, for those of you who have not listened, is a podcast in which each week we bring on a guest who tells some stories about times they were upset, sad, angry, in any ways just overwhelmed, emotional, how they reacted to it, how those uh, around them that love them reacted to it. Because I believe, and we at Sad Times believe that we all go through stuff like this, and the hope is that the more that we talk about it, not only will it become more normalized to talk about the difficulties, but also it will make somebody who may be listening right now feel a little bit less alone. And the hope is that anyone who's dealing with anxiety, depression, any number of struggles, to know that they are not alone in the world, that is that is a huge step forward. So that's that's what Sad Times is. Uh, we thank you for, for joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Sad Times wherever you do get the podcast. And also, if you would like to be a guest, uh, we are always taking new submissions. You can email us at sadtimeskc at gmail.com. That's sadtimeskc and king, c as in cat, at gmail.com. And we will let you know how it works and, and go from there. We look to, forward to hearing from you. Uh, before we get to our guests this week, Let's get to this week's made-up sponsor. Uh, that sponsor is Acronyms. And I have the ad copy here. The ad copy is I-C-B-T-I-A-R-A-O-A-P-A-T-P-A-G-T-L-T-U. Hmm, take that for what you will. Thank you, Acronyms. All right, let's get to our guest. Uh, you may know him from the podcasting world. His name is Jay from the excellent podcast Project Skeptic. Jay, what's going on, man? Hey, how, how's everybody get, uh, doing today? I'm doing all right. I, I, um, I've got some cryptographers on those acronyms to see what the hell they're trying to say. I hope it's not like, um, like you know what they said about 80s uh, metal records where if you play it backwards, it's just Satan telling us to kill ourselves. I was trying to keep up with it, and I just uh, I lost you after like the fourth letter. So. <laughs> That's fair. Well, those motherfuckers need to get a little more creative, is what I'm saying. <laughs> now, Jay, you and I have uh, never met, but you and I have one horrible thing in common, and that we both know Brent. So you have been uh, kind enough to reach out because you wanted to share some of your stories on the show, and I really, really appreciate it, and I look forward to having that discussion with you. How's your day going today? Well, my day was going pretty, pretty well for the first part, um, and then everything caught fire <laughs> in the last hour or so of uh, work today. Uh, everything just kind of uh, went up in flames. It was like that uh, "I'm fine," you know, meme where the oh you know, yeah, the, guy's the dog sitting is there. sitting there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now they're not literal flames, right? No, you don't no, have any not smoke yet. Inhalation problems. Okay. No, maybe, maybe uh, it'll be something I have to deal with in the morning, but uh, right now we're, we're okay. All right. All right. Well, I, I really hope that that um, dealing with it is, it is easier than you expect. Uh, well, appreciate you coming on, Jay. And, um, and you are talking to us. I, I'm in uh, Chicago, the Chicago area. You are talking to us in Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Rainy, rainy Pennsylvania. Hmm. I believe is that the is that like a William Penn thing, rainy rainy Pennsylvania? Yeah, that was on the inside of the Liberty Bell. I don't know if you knew oh, that, <laughs> but yeah, see, I didn't look under. Inside. I didn't. Mm. Yeah, apparently yeah. NPR cracked the Liberty Bell, and I'm very upset about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, <laughs> so you're born and raised. You're still in PA. Um, tell us about your family. Like growing up, uh, how, did you have siblings? 
Yeah, I'm the I'm the youngest of four. So uh, yeah, I was um, I have an older uh, older brother, um, an older sister, and then another brother that's pretty close to me. He's only about two years apart, but me and my my oldest brother are fourteen or fifteen years apart, something wow. like that. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're by far the youngest, at least from your oldest sibling. Um, d- I know some other people who are kind of the younger. I, I'm the youngest sibling, but there's only three and a half years between myself and my sister who is still not a doctor, but I see that, um, you know, I see other people who have, who are very young. Now, did you know your grandparents as well? Well, that, that's, what's, what's strange about it. Um, like my, my older siblings, they do, they, they remember, you know, they have memories of my grandparents, but for me, I I've only, I've met, um, my grandfather on my father's side. He, he obviously, um, passed away when I was young, but um, my grandmother lived to be ninety some years old, and she was the only one on the on the you know grandparents' side that um, I actually knew and grew up with. So, okay, wow, ninety something—that's a good—that's a good run. Yeah. And um, how about so your grandfather? You said passed away, but you didn't really know him. Well, I was young at the time. I remember him. Um, I remember going over there. Uh, they lived right next door, as a matter of fact, and um, so I'd see him daily. But like I said, it, I was real young when he passed away. Um, I remember his workshop and him being around and 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 things like that. It was just uh, I was really really young at the time. Okay, and uh, how how did he pass away? So I I I don't remember the the year. I think I said it was in, in ninety somewhere around there. So I'd have been somewhere around six five six years old, and mm-hmm. uh, it was April. I I do remember that it was in the springtime and. Uh, we had, I had come home, I had come home from school and I was rushed out of the house and up to a neighbor's house. And, um, later to find out that, um, my grandfather was walking between our houses up to the garden that we had at the top of the top of the property. And he had had a massive heart attack in the, in the yard. And by the time my mother had found him, he was already, he was already deceased. So whenever oh, I got home at the time, uh, yeah, I was just rushed away and all the ambulances and everybody was already there. And yeah, it was, um, it was a strange, uh, it was a strange feeling to have being that young, not really knowing the exact details, but I knew something was wrong. It, yeah, of course. And, and your mom, you said found him was, and this was her father-in-law. Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you recall how they explained it to you or is that kind of lost to memory? Yeah, it's kind of lost to me um, as who told me or how they described it. I know when we went to my neighbors, she kind of kind of gave us like details. It was me and my my other brother, who's only um, like I said, two two years older than me. So uh, we went up to the neighbors, and uh, I think she kind of described what was happening, but not in like the detail of what was actually happening. Trying to trying to calm us to you know not make us feel like something major had happened, which it had, but kind of console us and, you know, give us a little bit of the details, but not all of the details. Yeah. It seems to me that's one of the, uh, many stages of the uh, eternal challenge of being a parent is, you know, you have to, you do not want to lie to your child, but it's like, uh, that you said you're about five or six, right? This five or six year old Jay is not going to know exactly what this means maybe so but you don't want to lie to him right so that's that's a an interesting and very difficult line that i think pretty much all parents have to walk yeah i i we've had to do that um 
we have children of our own and um, we've had to do that over the, the course of the years, uh, you know, explain what has happened to so-and-so or uh, uh, a family member or something like that to, to my children already. So I, I, uh, it, you don't, yeah, like you said, you don't want to lie to them, but you, you kind of want to make sure they know what happened. So they know the, the grand scheme of life, I guess, you know what I mean? For sure. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, uh, I have no children. I, uh, you know, my hat's off to, to anybody who does and, you know, works every day to, to help or to do their best to raise kids. And um, I don't think I'm up for the challenge. So good, you know, more <laughs> power to you, my friend. So you not only your grandfather, a couple years later, um, there was another death in your family, right? Yes. Um, uh, yeah. When I was since like the second grade or so. Um, I had an uncle pass away uh, on my birthday, so that's Jesus. it was very it was a very fond memory because it was my birthday, and um, yeah, that he my uncle Fred was the he kind of held not held the the family together, but like I said, all of our big family functions took place at their house. So we had pig roasts all summer or birthday parties or anything like that. They had this great big piece of property where we could go and run and play with the neighbors and down there. And so he was always, he was always around. It was my, it was my father's sister's husband. So they, they were always around. And um, I didn't know a whole lot of details when he got sick. So I found out later on that he had um, stage four lung cancer and um, he had got real sick. And I, I knew that we weren't seeing him as much, but I didn't know the details. Still, I was still young. I was probably eight or so at this time. Right. And and um, yeah, we I got the uh, my mo- my mother had came and got me from school that day. Um, it was a rainy March day for some reason, Pennsylvania. Uh, and um <laughs> So she had got us and we, we had gone somewhere. Um, we obviously didn't go to the hospital or go, you know, anything like that. I think we went to, um, my grand grandmother's house, uh, where everybody kind of was, you know, the whole, you know, localized family was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one for me because like I said, he, he was always around. He was a, he was a jokester. He was outgoing, you know, he was, he was a fun person to be around from, you know, even from what I remember, you know, 30 some years ago, uh, he was just fun person to be around. So when he had passed away, that was a big, I don't know. It was, it was very emotional for me. One, because it was my birthday when I was a kid yeah. and two, that like this uncle that we had, that was the life of the family is now, is now gone. And yeah, and it sounds like in, in a lot of ways, the linchpin, at least around larger uh, family get togethers. Yes. Like I said, we were always, uh, we were always down there. I mean, they, they lived close. I mean, it's not like they lived, uh, you know, an hour away. They lived five minutes from us. So we were always down and around there. Okay. Now you had said that you are the youngest of four and, uh, your oldest brother is how, how much older than you? Uh, 15, 18 years. Yeah. I think he's 50. I think he's 54, 53, something like that. So maybe 14 years older, older than me. All right. And so because you were born so late, it sounds like not, you know, one, there's that, that's a 
you know, it's a big gap between siblings, but also not only your grandparents, but your whole extended family was pretty old. It it seemed that they were older than maybe say for me, uh, when my, I was born when my parents were in their early thirties and, you know, my sister was only three and a half years older than me. Yeah. My, my whole extended family were, um, were, you know, older at at the time that I can even remember um, them being around, uh, I had a had an uncle uh, Garvey and uh, Aunt Mary Teresa, and you know they, they were always in my mindset. They were always everybody was always way older than like my parents. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Even though they they might have been about the same age, they, they could have been. Um, I mean, uh, I know um, the, the the my grandmother's siblings were all I've always felt like they were always older like older than she was you know and it's it was it was strange to be around I guess the the extended family because I was obviously like one of the youngest in the family Mm -hmm. did the did the cousins pick on you because of that no, uh, I, I, um, I held my own <laughs> for the go. most part. Um, uh, we ended up, uh, I, I'm not the youngest of my, my direct family, like cousins wise any, well, after a couple of years, there, there had been another, um, two cousins that were younger than me, but yeah, we, uh, we grew up, um, we grew up rough and, you know, we were, uh, we were tough kids, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. we didn't, we didn't take a lot of, uh, uh, crap from each other. So, yeah. And then you're running around, like you said, your, your uncle's property and I'm sure there's some scuffles and, you know, skin <laughs> knees and all that good stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So with that, then you go, you know, as is apparent, you grew older, you're on this podcast today. And, <laughs> and when you were in high school, um, I don't know if Pennsylvania is anything like, uh, Illinois. Uh, but, um, one of the things that when I was growing up, one of the big things was baseball, little league, all that good stuff. Were you involved in sports and stuff as you were in high school and everything? Yeah. Growing up, it was the typical, uh, you know, little league baseball all summer long. We played, uh, we played so much baseball when we were kids. I mean, we had, we had a big piece of property. Our neighbors had some uh, big piece of property. So we were always, you know, down there hitting a the ball or, you know, throwing or something like that. So it was a big thing for us growing up was, was playing baseball. Yeah. Did you, um, who was your favorite player? I was a big Ken Griffey Jr. fan at, at whenever whenever I was um, probably real young, and then it got into the the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, mm-hmm. you know, uh, home run race to seventy, and you know, I kind of liked both of those guys at the time. But yeah, th- I liked Ken Griffey Jr. growing when I was growing up when I was a little kid, little little kid. Well, I mean, there's there's not much not much you could say bad about Ken Griffey Jr. And did, <laughs> what position did you play in baseball? So I played center field. I was all I was always um I was always fast when I was a when I was a child. <laughs> Obviously I'm not that fast now, but uh when I was a child I was I was quick and I could move, so I was I was always outfield um shagging balls in the outfield. Yeah, I mean as a center fielder, again, can't get much better, at least in our generation, than uh, good old <laughs> King Griffey Jr. Uh which I will put in a quick plug for King Griffey Jr. baseball on Super Nintendo as the greatest Sports game ever, ever, ever. Thank you. Um, so, but even outside of baseball, one of the big things uh, that I just obsessively looked forward to was getting my driver's license. Uh, 
Uh, and it's funny because now I look back and I see the size of my small town and I could have walked most places. But at that time, I didn't understand that. But like that was something that I look forward to. Was that something that you were really excited about as well? Yeah, Definitely. You know, you did that um, coming of age, 16, getting your driver's license. We rode, um, we rode bikes around our little town pretty much everywhere across the town. So it wasn't a transportation thing. It was just like, I'm 16. Now I can, you know, get a job. I can get a car. I can go wherever I want now. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it, man. It's like it's like a transition to say, hey, now I'm closer to this magical adulthood that everybody tells me about where I can make my own decisions, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us about when you, when you had to get your permit, did you have to have a physical? Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, they make you go um, just like with sports. I guess they have to have a, a physical to make sure that you're not, uh, you know, in any disability of driving or, um, you know, have any kind of chronic disease that's going to, you know, inhibit you from driving, you know, just like falling asleep at the wheel or something like that. So they, they run a gambit of different things. And um, yeah, that's that they definitely, you know, have something like that for, uh, for our driving tests. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I don't recall. I don't believe I had a physical for my uh, driving test. But it, when you were around this age, was there anything that they found in the physical? Yeah, so that's that starts the the cra- the more craziness part of my life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we went in for the physical. Um, same doctor. I actually still have the same doctor right now. As really? When I was six. Yeah. Oh, same that's exact awesome. Doctor. So. Um, we go into the physical, uh, they do the, the normal, uh, physical things, you know, check your lungs and your arms and your knees and your reflexes. And then they, they ask you if you have any questions and, or, you know, any concerns. And I said, you know, I've been having these, um, I've been having these migraines where they're, they're painful. They're not, they're not headaches. They're, I have to sit into a dark room migraines or I'll get physically ill. Oh, I, how, how old were you when those started? Uh, I was about 15 or so. God, what, what would, what did you think the first time that that came upon you? I would think my world was ending. (laughs) So it wasn't a, um, it wasn't an instant one day I got a migraine thing. Okay. It it was a progressively like, um, these migraines are getting worse. And at this point, this is what they are. This is how they are affecting me directly. Okay. Now, did, so, was it, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. Was it a progressive in such a way that it kind of snuck up on you or were you able to kind of be like, well, this is definitely worse than the last time, that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, it was probably over a good, you know, couple months or so mm-hmm. where I was like, man, this headache is just bothering me and it won't go away. And then it was like two days I'd have this headache and I'm like, okay, you know, take some more Tylenol or whatever. And then, um, you keep moving and keep doing, keep being active. And then to the point where one of them would eventually hit you and, you know, you were debilitated, you know, you couldn't do anything with this, with this migraine, but lay with your, with your, with pressure on your eye, you know, into a pillow somewhere. So you didn't have to hear or see anything just to try to, you know, cope with the, with the pain of it. I I just, you know, I've, I've, I've heard very similar stories from a number of people who have struggled with that type of um, headache and pain. And I just cannot imagine how just the one time, but then to think, okay, I just had that. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have that again at some point. <laughs> that has got to be really um, off-putting, disorienting, uh, any other thing. So, wow. I mean, the fact that you could, again, 
I'm a pretty weak motherfucker. And if I get even a little bit of a headache, I buy stock and ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely the, uh, man, some days were just, just killer. I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't wait to get home from school and lay in my cool basement and just cuddle or in a fetal position just to try to, you know, alleviate some kind of pain. Yeah. And you, and, thus implying that you had this pain and you sat through class with that in the bright classroom. Oh yeah. And uh, it's not only the pain, but like you said, it's also disorienting. Uh, You know, at one point it's, it's, it's so much pain and in the behind my eye that it would, uh, you know, I'd walk with one eye closed around school just because, you know, it hurts so bad and you just try to get to, you know, you try to get to two 30 every day and uh, you go home, ride the bus home and lay down. Man, well, I you're tougher than I am. Um, so you you you're at your physical, uh, and you tell them that you you've been having these bad headaches and they've kind of getting progressively worse. What what did your doctor say? So you know, doing the doctor thing, he um, he thought the best course of action would be to um, have a have a look. You know, CAT scan, some th- something, some kind of scan to be able to see what's actually going on in there. So. Um, I get sent for a CAT scan. Uh, a couple days pass with no um, with no answers or you know no, nothing from it, and then we um, we get another appointment set up and to talk about it. So we go in, and I'm thinking, oh, he's just going to be like, okay, here's your you know your physical uh, signed, and you're good. Well, they had found something on the CAT scan, and um, he recommended that we have an MRI uh, done to. Oh, found something like did he specify what that quote unquote something was now in the in the cat scan they couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was it could have been it could have been a fatty abscess it could have been anything it could have been a tumor it could have been an oh, aneurysm it wow. could have been anything at this point god that's got to be scary <laughs> a little bit yeah, yeah that would scare the bit. fuck out of me okay so how how soon after did you get the MRI? I would hope soon. Yeah, so the MRI was within, you know, a week or two of that appointment. Um Okay. And then we did the same process again. We went in and then that's when he had told us that uh look, this is um this is what's going on. Um they found this uh arterial venous malformation. Whoa, your- whoa, whoa. Say that again. Arterial venous malformation. Okay. Uh I think that's what the um, acronym uh, ad was trying to tell us. <laughs> so what arterial venous malformation? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you for my lame joke. Tell us what that is. I've never heard of that. So essentially what, what it is, is your, your arteries and, and parts of your veins uh, and most, most of the cases that I've ever seen or read about were always in your brain and um, it's, it's, it, they're tangled like your, your veins and your, your part of your arteries are tangled into like uh, uh, a knot of hair where you're trying to brush, where you try to brush it out and it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't brush out. Ooh. Okay, and and that, pardon me, that is what, the, the very simple way to put it, that is what was causing these horrible headaches. Yes, that's the that's that is the the cause of all the headaches because of when it would swell due due to blood pressure or um, too much caffeine or anything like that, it would actually put pressure on my brain. 
Oh my God. So you're saying that you couldn't say, I don't know, drink two, two liters of surge just to get a crazy, you know, 14 year old night going. We used to love <laughs> surge. Okay. No. Okay. All right. So you find this out. What, I mean, what is your reaction? What, what did they say that they needed to do to it, to treat it? So, so your initial reaction is, uh, I'm going to die. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's something in my brain. I mean, it has to be that serious. You know, when you're a kid, it's, it's your heart and your brain, you know, that's the, uh, that's what happens. You know, when people die, it's either their heart or their brain. So I guess, um, yeah, it was, uh, you, you going forward after that, whenever we had the MRI and they pinpointed what it was, they, um, they said, hey, you know, we're going to have to um, have an angiogram done. Um, so we're going th- still going through the testing at this point. They're um, they're feeding me pain ki- painkillers for the for the actual migraines. OK, what kind of painkillers? Uh, Darvocets. Are, th- are those still around? No. OK, <laughs> they, but- they, they, they have definitely been discontinued. Are those forgive my ignorance? Um, it's just because I'm not related to a doctor. Are they, are those like strong pain pills? Uh, yeah, they are the, um, uh, pre kind of Percocet Vicodin there, like in that uh, kind of okay. range. Gotcha. Okay. So as we've established, you were a big baseball player. It sounds like you were very active. Did you play any other sports? Yes. I, uh, I wrestled whenever I got to seventh grade, we had, um, we had a wrestling team for our junior high and, um, I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I like to stay active. So um, a friend of mine had suggested that I go out for the wrestling team. So, and that was, that was it for the next, you know, f- four years. That's, that's what I did in the, in the winters. Okay. Wow. Um, and so how did all of this, the diagnosis, how they're going to treat it, et cetera, uh, affect, you know, all of your sports playing, being active, just being a normal, you know, for lack of a better term, a normal teenager. Yes. So we found out um, about eight now, probably February or something like that of 2000, that this that's what was going on. So as going forward with all the testing and everything, there was no um, there was no sports, you know, uh, there was no there was no baseball that summer. There was no anything physical, you know, even myself, I thought, you know, I don't want to just bump bump it and what if, you know what ifs that's what it was it was yeah. a handful of what ifs yeah and well let's just take baseball just because i i love baseball and i mean just what if you got hit in the head even if you have a helmet on with a with a pitch or whatever well that was the thing they didn't know they didn't know if i did get hit if, if there would be a reaction or swelling or anything like just like a concussion uh would that swell on my with it being on my brain would it um would it swell and cause issues which it probably would have so we had to be as precautious as as we could yeah of course now listen in the scheme of things you know there there are a lot of challenges in life so i don't mean to belittle like not being able to play sports but when you're a teenager and that's what you do like all the time after school i have this practice or that practice or uh i go and like i said play like you said rather play with your cousins and play baseball or with the neighbors etc it's got to be a pretty jarring thing to just be told that has to stop now yeah it was it was after the mri that was pretty much it like we found this we know what it is we're you know we're scratching all type of you know don't be running you know what i mean it's just it's don't do anything 
How did, I mean, how did you take that? That, that was, that was the worst. I think that was the worst part of all of it. Right. Um, from going from being riding bikes, playing baseball, being outside, riding four wheelers, riding dirt bikes, just being out and about and being active to like nothing. And that was, you know, that was a, that was a shock in everything that I grew up doing just stops at 15. Wow. It, 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 again, will you, well, I'll use the word disorienting again, not only disorienting, but it's just gotta be, um, I just take the wind out of your sails while also worrying about, Oh, I might die because there's something wrong with my brain and or heart, as you were saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. Day to day. I didn't know if one of those headaches were going to be, you know, the, the, the big one, the big headache where this thing bursts in my head because there's too much pressure on it. Did you, uh, so going back to the caffeine thing, I don't, were you drinking like soda, a lot of soda, or were you not really a caffeine kid? Not that I can like say that was my you know primary diet, you know, yeah. but uh, I was probably a normal, um, my parents would limit obviously what, what caffeine we took in. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's, so that wasn't uh, too hard of an adjustment to like totally cut that out. No, 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 no. That, 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 that wasn't, um, that wasn't, I don't think that difficult. Speaking of caffeine kids, you know, I, I prefer them to garbage pail kids, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, okay. So you're 15, um, February, it said, you said February of 2000 is about when you were, um, diagnosed with this. They, they put you on the painkillers. What were the next steps for you? So we, we went uh, through all the through all the testing and through all the scans, and then we had to wait. So um, we had to wait till August, or the wow. end of July, August. Okay. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that um, they got taken care of right away. We did a lot of scans, did a lot of CAT scans or MRIs, stuff like that. Um, then we we're then August, to j- end of July, August comes around. Um, I have I have to go to. Uh, UPMC. Well, it wasn't UPMC at the time, but Children's Hospital in in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. We went out there. We stayed at a Ronald McDonald House out there, uh, right beside the the hospital. If I uh, if I may, real fast, I Ronald McDonald houses are amazing. Yeah, they are. My my sister um, had a difficult pregnancy, and uh, my my nephew was born very premature. And he had to be in the NICU for a long time. And he, they were able to stay for free at this Ronald McDonald house right next door. And it was, it was like there's, there's pantries full of food and all sorts of great stuff. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, they were great. I mean, it was just like a hotel room, uh, right, right beside where we were. And it had everything, you know, TVs and computers that you could surf the internet on and, yeah, that they were. Uh, it was a great place for for because at this point it was just me and my mom out there. Yeah, for the surgery. God, and that's you know I was thinking that's got to be so hard on your parents too, uh, with with not only are you going through this uncertainty, but they're seeing their youngest child go through it too. Yeah, and to you know my my dad would stay home, and my my other brother and my my sister now is um, my sister's older, and she was uh, out married. Uh, had a child at this time, but my, my other brother was still in high school. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of us, one of them had to stay and one of them had to come with me. So it was, yeah. 
God, that's that's difficult. Like really difficult to not put too fine a point on it. So you go through all this test, and then you guys are at the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh where you're having the surgery, and you're staying at the Ronald McDonald House. What were the next steps then? Uh, uh, during the, I think it was a Friday, something along those lines, we went into the hospital. They did another angiogram. Uh, they, that's where they cut your artery, your vein down, like by your leg and mm-hmm. put a tube up into your, into your brain. And then they pump all this dye into your brain to like pinpoint exactly everything in your brain. I mean, they, they can look in like a 3d model and this is 2000. So, I mean, it was still it's pretty, pretty incredible tech for, um, uh, for tw- 23 years ago. Yeah. Thank God. Y2K didn't get that. <laughs> so, what did that feel like? So, um, you ever been punched in the face really hard by anybody <laughs> besides hit, Brent? No. <laughs> or hit with something really like really hard where it's jarring and your eyes go black. And um, vis- you, um, I don't believe that I'm lucky enough. I'll, I'll knock on what is not wood. Uh, I don't believe I have. So I'm lucky enough to say that I haven't. <laughs> so your eyes go black and then the, the whole seeing stars thing. That's exactly how this was. I mean, you, you wow. my eyes went completely black and then I started seeing all the stars and then on all the monitors was this, you know, this, these pictures of my brain. It was, it was pretty wild. Wow. Uh, ooh, that does not, none of this sounds pleasant or fun, Jay. No. Uh, okay. So as you're leading up to the surgery, you were on painkillers. Did they put you on any other medication as you came closer to the surgery? Yeah, we were, um, or I had to uh, take some anti-seizure medicine. They had these uh, anti-seizure medicine just for a precaution because, uh, you know, they uh, they wanted to make sure that if anything happens, like uh, my body wouldn't react in in, a, in that type of way. So we, ha- I had these little, you know, Tic Tac, maybe smaller than a Tic Tac, maybe a BB sized uh, pills that I was taking. And um, yeah, I had to take like 30 of them a day. 30? 30 of them? Uh, Yeah, it was like, it was like 30, uh, something around there. I know I had to take like handfuls of them for, they gave me this like great big, like, it looked like a, I don't know, a mason jar. Like (laughs) it was huge. There were so many of these things in there and it was like, couple days leading up to the actual surgery that I had to take them all. Wow. Jeez. Uh, okay. So you, and you're still on the painkillers. So you have the procedure. Do you, is there anything that, well, obviously you were probably out for that. Do you know what they specifically did in the procedure? So I had to be fully awake for oh. the whole procedure. Jesus. Well, probably because they needed to, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, that they need to see the way your brain was reacting to things. Yeah, it's kind of like the 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 playing the violin while you're having brain surgery thing. You know, they have to make sure that your brain is still you know functioning and cognitive while this was going on. So yeah, okay. I had to be I had to be awake. Oh wow! Um, but did they quote unquote float you? No, you're just awake and you just can't feel it, but you're very aware that something is going on. Do you feel like a lot of pressure and everything? Yeah, I. Uh, they they had put me in a halo, so I don't know if you know what a what a halo is. They they do it for people that have like really bad neck neck injuries mm-hmm. and um, spinal injuries. So what they did essentially is they bolted this thing to the front of my forehead and the the back of my head with like a local anesthetic that came in 
rub this local anesthetic on my forehead in the back of my head. And then they busted out the 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 fancy uh, DeWalt drill. De- and, DeWalt? Um, De- DeWalt. The Children's Hospital can do better than a – I mean, a DeWalt's a fine product. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so they drilled into your head with a DeWalt drill, a local anesthetic. Yeah, it was anesthetic. like uh, – lag lag bolts of some sort into my into my skull i still remember that i could smell like the bone burning as they were drilling into my head jesus christ um i'm happy to report that currently brent has pulled up an image search of these things and it's just i'm looking at the screen and i just see so many of these and brent stop okay (laughs) (laughs) okay so that is in what's next so they they wheel me off to uh, this room. It looks like um like an alien abduction room. <laughs> this it's all like sanitized stainless steel, great big white lights, uh, and in the center of this room is a, a sphere, probably I don't know ten foot in diameter, maybe a little bit bigger. Looks like the Epcot Center. Ooh. <laughs> okay, sorry, I got really excited about that. I don't know why. I had to uh, lay on my stomach and they kind of like conveyored me into this thing with just my head inside of it. And then they took the halo and bolted it to this contraption that I was just like in like head first. Now, could you, okay. I'm trying to picture this. So you had an MRI um, earlier, obviously. Now, was this as weird and disorienting as, as an MRI feels or, like how how disoriented was it to have your head in that thing? Could you see anything? Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of dark. There wasn't a whole lot on the in, actual inside of it. Um, I, the MRIs never really bothered me. I don't get claustrophobic, and I kind of just cover up and lay there during the during MRIs. I don't know. I guess after you have um, I don't know, fifteen MRIs, they, they kind of become null. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> All right, so you're but in it, there. You, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so we're, we're I'm in there and uh, I'm all bolted in, and there's no sound, there's no vibration, there's no nothing. There, you know, there's a little bit of like air moving and some stuff kind of turning on. It feels like, and um, the procedure is like uh, a couple couple minutes, maybe maybe ten fifteen minutes. Um, and it was called gamma knife. It was um, pinpointed radiation to um, to take care of this set of uh, tangled veins that were you know sitting on my brain so the actual procedure only the actual quote-unquote fixing of the problem once all this stuff is done you said took about 10 to 15 minutes yes from what i remember i mean Uh it's been a long time ago and the actual surgery um or the whole thing through the through the headaches and the mris and stuff um it did affect my memory a little bit of course so uh, uh, there's some fuzzy things, even pri- like pre-surgery, there's still a lot of things that um, people bring up to me and I'm like, I have no memory of that. So I oh. just talked, I just chalked that up to the whole, the whole experience of, of that surgery and everything I went through whenever that all went down. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, I was never much of a gamer, even though I did mention King Griffey Jr. Baseball earlier. Was Gamma Knife a character on Mortal Kombat? <laughs> yeah, that was the second to second to last guy. Oh, okay, defeat. got yeah. it. Uh, see, yeah. I wasn't very good. I never got that far. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're done with this now. You 
had been on, how long were you on those, the, the pain pills they prescribed you? Uh, the whole time from, you know, the February, then when we found out the, what exactly was going on and the, the amount of pain that I was in till, you know, late July, early August. Wow. Okay. And then was it, was it uh, Darvisets the whole time? No, towards the end, um, they did write me a script. I think I did have some um, Oxycontin. Um, that was the big height of the, you know, Oxycontin push, you know, yeah. for, for that. So yeah, I was, I, I, I had some of them. I don't remember. I don't recall like it being over and over again, like the Darva sets were. Okay. By this point, um, di uh, did you, did you, sorry, Brent showed me another, showed me the Epcot center thing too. So I'm gamma knife. the gamma knife. Thank you, Brent. Yeah. God, I got to fire him. Um, okay. So, uh, you get this surgery done. Did the, did the pain pills continue? No. Cause the, it was like the, you're cured thing. Right. So they, they, they said after this surgery, you know, what, obviously whatever I had left and, and painkillers is what I had. And, you know, the, the surgery was, um, took some time. It wasn't, um, it wasn't instant. I had to go back later on in life and, you know, check up, have MRIs to make sure it was there. But, you know, the, the report from, from Pittsburgh back to my doctor was, you know, it's, it's a success where, you know, that's, that was the, that was the fix. Okay. And so, Hey, no more need for pain pills. Let's stop them now. Yeah. For, uh, you know, a kid that's 16 years old that has been doing, um, you know, pay, painkillers for, um, four or five months. Um, yeah, it's a hard stop. Did you have withdrawal symptoms? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, with everything that was going on and all the, all the craziness that my life had become, you know, I was dependent on, on that to kind of, uh, slow me down, you know, relax me, everything like that. So when, when, when you're done, there's no, um, there's, there's nothing there to take anymore. So, yeah. And in some sense did, and this probably wasn't the intended purpose, but did those painkillers help taking those every day, help with the anxiety of everything that you were facing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, pain, pain medicine and anything that has that, that, you know, hydrocodone or anything in it that, that, the the feeling that you get whenever you take it one or two of them and kind of relax and get that warm feeling inside and yeah that that's definitely definitely helps with um any type of anxiety of what was processing through my life at that point and then it's suddenly gone yeah just hard stop so how did you deal with that so being a teenager, not having any responsibility for anything at this point, uh, you know, no baseball, no wrestling, no nothing. I mean, you, you resort to what's available as a as a high school teenager, and that would be, you know, marijuana. That was the, the easiest thing to get and go to. Okay. And um, so did you find that that helped with the anxiety? Did it help with other things as well? Well, you know, not having any headaches or anything anymore. Like, uh, I still have the occasional headache, but I would never have those migraines that I did. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, but the the feeling of like worthlessness at this point kind of um, 
kind of grew on me. Like I knew coming up in the fall, I wasn't going to be able to wrestle or anything. So it was, I didn't have to pass any drug tests. I didn't have to, I didn't have to be, do good at school. I didn't, my grades didn't have to be good. It didn't, nothing, it didn't matter at that point. And the, the worthlessness, if I may ask, you know, it's because you don't have, is it because you had a lot of time on your hands? Is it because you weren't able to do the things that you loved? Is it a combination of both? Is there, is there something else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there's, when you have heavily been into a- anything, it, it could be anything too. It doesn't have to be sports. It could be gaming. It could be, you know, whatever it, whenever that would be taken away from you. And that was a big part of your life. You don't have drive and you don't have, you know, like you found meaning in everything else. Like I found meaning in my grades to keep them good or, or something like that, or keep my friends around. And, you know, just at that point, there was no, there was no meaning for anything. It was, I was going through the process just because I had to go through the process. Gotcha. So I, I mean, on top of all, everything else you've gone through, this trauma of the diagnosis, of the pain pills, of uh, the procedure, albeit short, still pretty traumatizing procedure, Uh, the fact that a DeWalt screw gun was used, (laughs) all of these things, uh, it it sounds like you were depressed. Maybe not clinically depressed, but it was a period where you were just really down. Yeah, I mean – I mean, I guess depression as a teenager and depression as an adult are, are kind of feel like two different things yeah. because I've gone through, you know, two different phases of it. But yeah, it's, um, it's definitely down. It's a downer. It's a, it's a, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, um, use my time wisely because I was always had a, to go to this, this, and this, and now I don't. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so what kind of, do you think that there was anything specific that kind of pulled you out of, out of this really difficult time? So, yeah. So like I said, uh, July surgery into the fall, I start school, um, you know, uh, just go through the process, go through going to school every day. And then finally, um, April of the following year, 2001, um, I met my wife. Oh, Wow. Okay. So April of, um, 2001, I met my wife. Um, so that gave me, I guess, purpose. If you want to call it that I had somebody to, not that I didn't have friends, but I had somebody to occupy my time with. Like I had, I'll go, like I said, um, she lived in another town over. So I'd go out there and hang out with her and they had a farm and that would occupy my time. And I would, then I would, you know, I would have things to do that weren't sports, but other things to and go enjoy doing. Right. And that wait, so she lived in a different town, which I assume she didn't go to the same school as you. How did you meet her? That's the story's so funny, and and my wife likes telling it too because it's just it's a strange story. There was um, there's a restaurant at our in our town, and me and my my best friend at the time had pulled in, and her and her friend were sitting beside us in the in the parking lot, and we got out and they had honked and we waved and we walked in and then they had walked in after us to meet a group of friends there. It was just me and my, um, my best friend, Matt. And, uh, 
that we come back out before they did. There was a note on our note on our vehicle about um, a pager number or a, a cell. It had to have been a pager number. It was just 2001. <laughs> so uh, I, I had paged them. I think they called and um, her friend was the one that left the note, but her friend was too scared to talk to me. So I ended up talking to my wife for a little bit and we ended up setting up, um, you know, a movie date or something um, maybe that day or the next day or something. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much been, um, it's been history from that day. That's man. That is a great story. <laughs> that is a great story. And and you guys are still together. Yes. Uh, yeah. We've been together since April of 01. So it's been 22 years. We've been married since 07. So it's been you know, 15 years. We've been 16 years. We've been married. Oh man. Congratulations. And that, <laughs> that is a great story. And I think you had mentioned uh, uh, earlier, you guys have uh, children. Yes. We have two daughters. Okay. Congratulations. Um, you also had like a, a, a bad wreck on a, in a four wheeler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, it's just another, you know, strange, uh, point in my life. Uh, we had been, um, we'd been laid off from work on a voluntary layoff. They said, if you guys want to go out for X amount of weeks, you know, collect unemployment. And then when you guys come back, we'll have your work. So we went out, I went out on an unemployment and, uh, we were just riding around. We normally ride around four wheelers and stuff like that. It was me and my wife's cousin and his friend. And we were out and we were actually crossing a piece of property on a road that, you know, we, we really shouldn't have been on the road. Um, so we were going down, uh, trying to quickly move down this road so we don't get pulled over or whatever. And um, I had lost my hat, and I reached for my hat. And when I reached, um, I pulled the the front or pulled the handlebar of the four wheeler. Um, next thing you know, it's kind of on top of me, and we're sliding down the road. Um, hit a parked car, which um, if I'd have been flipped 180 degrees on the other side, it, I would have hit the parked car. But the four wheeler hit the parked car. Threw me out into the road. Um, I slid some more. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was up. I didn't get knocked out or anything, but I got up straight away, and I'm you know bleeding from every part of my body at this point from road rash. Jesus, how old were you at this time? Uh, twenty three. All right, so you're you, you didn't get knocked out, but you get up and you're just how how bad was the damage? So I was bleeding pretty profusely from my forehead because I had slid a bit on my forehead. Um, all my arms had um, second degree burns on them oh. from the from the asphalt. But both my legs, my hip, and then I tore a piece of my knee, uh, probably about the size of a golf ball. Oh. It was completely missing. Um, oh, <laughs> not Goodness. to be too, not to be too. Uh, no, you're too fine. About, you're fine. But. Um, yeah, so my when I finally sat down, a lady next, the lady where I wrecked her house, um, she comes running out. She's a nurse. She's like telling me sit down, sit down, sit down. Well, when I sit down, I can like my knee is like it, it, it's incredible, and I don't know whatever happened to you know said piece of my knee, but then I'm sitting there and I can feel it. You know, I'm just bleeding everywhere from this you know road rash, and um, my my cousin calls. Uh, Amed, um, they come and pick me up, and uh, off to the hospital I go. Uh, was there any Dewalt drill when you got to the hospital? 
No, but that is the the worst pain I've ever felt in my life was that incident in particular because they had to scrub all of the shale out of my road rash with a wire brush. God damn, man. Uh, I was just making all sorts of faces and poses like I was listening to a Tom Waits song. That was <laughs> Oh god, how long did that take? Um I don't remember. remember. I was in, I was in there for a couple hours. I know that they had um they had pumped me with morphine and they said we're going to scrub all your stuff now. And uh I said, "Okay." And then they started. I'm like, "You're going to have to give me more morphine." And he goes, we we physically cannot give you any more morphine. They're like that's all the, that's all we're allowed to give you. And they they gave me a little bit of um, oh, I forget what it is, but it's the stuff that Michael Jackson was taking. Oh, pro, pro, uh, pro, propofol, or something yes, like that. Yes, something like that. I think I got that right. I could be wrong. But they they gave me just this little tiny bit of that, and then they they scrubbed uh, every arm, leg, knee, you know, everything to get the <sighs> the, the shell out. <laughs> <laughs> Were either of your daughters born at this point? No, 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 no. This was uh, what was this? Oh seven, oh oh eight, maybe. No, it was it was oh nine. Yeah, it was um, it was oh nine, and uh, no, they weren't. Uh, neither one were born yet. Okay, how long did that recovery take? Oh, about three months. Jeez. I had some skin grafts done on my knee. Uh, actually, it wasn't skin grafts. There was um, he, I had a plastic surgeon put it back together. Um, they had to like grind a piece of my kneecap so it all fit together. Uh, and then they the like seventeen or eighteen like actual physical staples held it all in. But then I couldn't bend my knee, so I laid on the couch for like three months. Wow, that's okay. <laughs> my God, man. Okay, that sounds horrible all the way around. Uh, and I'm glad yeah. it sounds like, do you have like, obviously you came out of it. Any like lasting issues from that? No, I have, I have, I have a lot of scars. I have a lot of scars. Okay. Um, my arms are better that you couldn't really tell now compared to what they were, but I have some really deep, deep scars, like on my shoulders and my knees and one on my forehead that like my hair kind of covers up, but. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like your forehead's not nearly as big as mine. Uh, okay, <laughs> you must have a pain tolerance, man. Yeah, I just—it's that's a hard, hard to comprehend. Um, so you, you know, you you recover after three months. You and your um, wife have a couple daughters, uh, and then you had an issue with your younger daughter getting sick. Is that is that right? Yeah. So. Well, when my youngest daughter was born, uh, everything was fine. Like there, it was normal pregnancy. I mean, uh, she she was great with born. And but when we ended up finding out she was about a year old, maybe a little over a year old, she had um, she had abnormally large adenoids. Hmm. And so those are like behind the nose or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she would snore. Oh my goodness. She still snores, but, uh, they would, uh, they, they, this doctor we went to, uh, said, Hey, uh, you should have this procedure. All kids, you know, most kids, whatever, have this procedure where they have their adenoids out kind of like your tonsils, mm -hmm. you know, one of those removable organs. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we were okay. And, 
we set up all the appointment for it and did her, you know, uh, ear, nose, nose and throat appointments and everything. And everything seemed fine. And uh, the day of the surgery, obviously, you know, anxiety is through the roof. Uh, obviously, you're going to watch your daughter go have a surgery and you're not there to be by her side. She's going to go with somebody else. And, you know, we were assured that everything would be okay. And um, so we go in to have this um, procedure done at the surgery center. Um, well, she goes back. We're waiting. We're waiting. It's me and my uh, my wife and my my mother. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing. We don't hear anything. And um, finally, somebody comes out and says, hey, everything went well. She's going to recovery. So, okay, so we can't go see her yet. That's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, that was all good. So we're waiting in recovery, waiting in recovery. Well, my wife's aunt was, she worked at the surgery center. She um, she comes out and gets us and we go rushed back and uh, the doctor said, hey, we, we were having complications getting her breathing. There's this, this and this going on and we can't. And the emotion that I felt when he would, when he told me that was pretty much every emotion that a human could have at one time. It it's it's almost again. I I cannot imagine how difficult that would have been. It's almost as if it was like an emotional angiogram. Like everything went black. You're seeing stars. <laughs> uh, so they. It, it, I'm sitting here listening. And you said, "Oh, we can't. We're having trouble getting her breathing." That has got to yeah. be maybe the worst thing a parent can hear. One of the worst things. It's up there. So what what happened next? So we're sitting there and we get our scrubs on. Um, we run into this. Uh, we run into this room where she is just intubated. Um, she's got tubes down her throat and she's she's kind of kind of awake, kind of not awake. She's laying there. Um, we're we don't know what's going on. It's it's just it's it's panic. It's panic throughout. I mean, when the doctors and the nurses and everybody else is panicking, it's kind of like you, the whole flight attendant thing. Like you don't you don't panic until the flight attendant panics. It, <laughs> it was like that. Mm -hmm. So we're standing there. We're, we're with our daughter, and um, the you know the, we don't know the the don't know. And next thing we know, um, they they said that they had already called um, Pittsburgh uh, Children's Hospital, and they were flying their helicopter in to pick her up. And this is this the same children's hospital where you had your uh, the the gamma knife procedure? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same. I think it's a different building okay. now. Same institution, was, maybe. What's that? Same institution, though. Yeah, same uh, same same uh, Pittsburgh. It's UPMC now, um, so it's uh, it's the same company, I guess. Okay. So they here comes a helicopter, and. What happens when the helicopter gets there? So the helicopter pad was up at the hospital. It wasn't down at the surgery center. So the the guys get out of the. Um, I do. I I like to think in my mind that they repelled out of the helicopter <laughs> just to, just just the way that they came in the room and took over the situation. Uh, it like I always say, it was like SEAL Team Six. They they come in, they push everybody out of the way. One's on a walkie-talkie calling in medication. One's talking to the pilot. You know, one's doing this and doing that. And, like, they get her, and um, they, they're asking us questions. Who's going with her? Who's going with well, Only one of you can go with her. Um, 
you know, that they're, they're hooking her up to all these monitors and the, we decided that my wife would go with her and within five minutes they're in, picked her up in the ambulance going up to the, the helipad and they're gone. God. It, it, it's almost uh, reminiscent of what you were saying earlier when you were having procedures done to you as a kid. You know, your mom went with you and your your dad had to stay and take care of, you know, some your, your brother. So what is that? Is that just a powerless feeling to just watch your wife and, and very uh, gravely emergency ill daughter just being taken from you? Yeah, I mean, it was I, I stood there. You know, after they left, I I stood there and I was kind of like, well, what do I do? What, what do I do in this moment? I, I, I know I have to get out there, but I, my brain wouldn't function to make me walk out to the vehicle, get in, put the keys in. I just, I stopped and I just like everything that had happened in the last, you know, half an hour felt like an hour plus. And now I'm now I'm just standing here emotionless, just wondering what the hell just went on. Yeah. Um, so you obviously have another daughter, so you have to go yeah. make sure she's taken care of. And then you. You said you had to get there. I assume you mean Pittsburgh. Yeah, because it's a two-hour, little over two-hour drive from where I am to Pittsburgh, but it's only like forty minutes in the helicopter. So, so I had to get my somebody already had my had my daughter. I think my dad might have might have had my oldest daughter at the time, and uh, at the house, and we had to make sure that she had somewhere to go. Uh, to be, because who knows who, uh, how long we were going to be over there. Um, I had to get stuff. I had to get clothes. I had to get everything. So I drove home with my with my mom to our house, got some stuff, and me and my mom drove to Pittsburgh. Okay. And I don't know, an hour and 40 minutes or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you made some record time, I'm sure. Yeah. So what happened once you, once you got there? So when I got there, well, when they got there, they got right off. Uh, I guess they got into a room. I mean, it's an instant thing. So they go into a room. They don't get weighted or ER or anything like that. Um, they brought my wife a whole basket full of stuff like slippers and a robe and, you know, all all this stuff to, you know, make sure that she was she was taken care of also that because they don't they like a gift basket of, of sorts. Uh, I get over there. They're already in the room. You know, I just, I go in, she's, um, my daughter's kind of like, um, restrained to the bed. Like, she's only a little over a year. So yeah, understandably, like she could wake up and start pulling stuff, pulling at stuff. So she's restrained, um, in a medically induced coma at this point, uh, breathing tube in, uh, there's a drain in her stomach that's draining everything out of her stomach. So nothing, you know, happens on that end. And she's just laying there. Like, I know that she's, she's here. She's in this bed. We're at like the best hospital we can be at, but it's still, you know, it, it's, it's so you, you always think about the emotion that you're going to have 
but there is no emotion to be had at this point except you know understanding what's going on yeah um obviously i've never experienced it but i feel like that is a that is a pretty spot on way to describe that really powerless <laughs> feeling the the only thing that you have power over it, are you basically saying the only thing you have power over is having the information of what is happening and and being there yeah you know just like you take in the information you know obviously everybody wants to know you pass that information along but you know what in an actual emotion i couldn't tell you what the actual emotion i was having you know obviously i was upset but i was upset and mad and and sad and everything all at once yeah yeah you said she was in a medically induced coma. Did she wake up? Like what, what happened next? We got there. Um, we had talked to the doctor and the, in the, like the head nurse, um, when, when I got there and, um, what was really fascinating about that whole thing is when we got there and we were talking to them and they were, they go, um, we see this all the time. So see to what have all the time. So this, this condition where like you're, um, uh, your voice box is what this is what happened. Her voice box is closed shut because it had fluid on her voice box whenever they were doing the surgery. So that particular incident to young children, I apparently is what they they see happen in surgeries or uh, s- something along those lines. Why well, is there any quote unquote comfort to know that? Oh, this is some. Well, how, let me ask you it a different way. Were you made aware that this was a risk? At 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 the initial surgery? Yes, sir. No, we had no idea that okay. there's something like that. We were kind of told that this is a, well, the, the beginning, the original surgery was just a, you know, a run of the mill mm-hmm. uh, adenoids removal and that'd be that. Yeah, right. Well, um, she came, got home and how long until she was kind of back to normal? <laughs> She, she was, uh, she was a little feisty. Um, I, I had even ran the story past my wife again, uh, since we had spoken to make sure that I was getting, um, getting all my facts straight with this story. And, um, so my wife reminded me that since she was on all of this medication, you know, while she was, um, medically induced coma and uh, everything she had, she had withdrawal from whatever they had her on and she was she wasn't herself for for a little bit oh wow like a like a withdrawal from the drug a drug withdrawal yeah you know she so she was so small i mean she was she was only a couple what i mean 25 pounds maybe at the most and some she she had some kind of withdrawal from whatever she had gone through or medication that they had her on that she, yeah, she just wasn't her, her cheery, free spirited, uh, little girl that, you know, we, we had known for, for a little bit, but she did, um, she did come back around. Uh, it, it wasn't too, too long, but my wife did remind me about that, that she was, um, she was a little bit grumpy for a little bit, but yeah. Oh, I mean, that just, that just prolongs, I don't know, it seems, it would seem to me that that would prolong the experience. And then it's like, okay, well, she's not, as far as you know, in any sort of 
immediate danger of, you know, not breathing. But now it's like, oh, God, is this – is she going to be different now? So that's got to be a whole other nightmare. I thought about that too. Um, just her, you know, just her demeanor and everything like that. And I thought, I was like, man, I hope nothing long term has happened from this particular incident. And I don't, I don't really have seen anything. She's, she's grown up. She's 10 now. We've grown up, um, seeing her do things, seeing how free willed she still is. And, uh, you know, she's such a, she's such a unique child. Um, from from like normal kids, you know, she she's she's really understanding of people. And, you know, she's like I said, she's free spirited. She could care less what really goes on. You, you know, she it, she's she's what she's one in a million for sure. Man, I think <laughs> that's so great to hear. And I think it's, you know, <laughs> you <laughs> you shared a lot with us today, Jay, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, and, you know, as we're wrapping up after all these difficult times that you went through, um, is there anything final that you would like to impart to everybody who's listen, listening, anything that you can would want to share, anything like that? I mean, I, I have been through <laughs> there's 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 stuff, you know, that we didn't even we didn't even touch on <laughs> in my in my vast craziness of my life. But um, yeah, it. You know, I I've always had the the mindset of you know you know you, you keep going you um you try to stay as positive. Uh, I've always been I've always been the jokester. I've always tried to stay positive. I've always tried to you know cheer people up because um, I know what that emotion is. I've been through situations, so I like to console people whenever they have um, issues because I've I've gone through that gamut of different different emotions in my in my entire life. But I mean, just to try to stay strong and stay positive for the, for the most part, I mean, you, you can, you, you can deal with your emotions at one point, but to continue to, you know, harp on them and uh, look back on them. It, it, that's, it's, that's not healthy in any way. I, I have found out, like I said, I found out in my, I've, I've done this. I've, I've looked back at stuff and thought, what did I do wrong? And what could I have done different? Well, at this point, you can't do anything different. You have to just um, you have to accept what um, the the hand, I guess, that you're dealt, and um, you know, move forward and stay as positive as you can. That's that's kind of the way that I try to try to go through life, I guess. Well, I think that's pretty goddamn wise. Uh, and I want to say I I love that you referred to yourself the same way that you did uh, your uncle as a jokester, and. Um, <laughs> Humor to me, or as my dad would say it, humor. And I always go, you know, dad, there's an H on that word. He goes, dad, just shut up. Um, humor is so important. And so yeah. I, I always, uh, to bring levity to very difficult situations when the time is right is is just, you know, laughter is the best medicine. I mean, that's pretty much true uh, in, in, a lot of, in a lot of respects. Laughter or DeWalt drill? One of the DeWalt. Two. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, uh, and... Yes. And last thing is, so Project Skeptic, your podcast, where can people find that? Tell us a little, just like uh, give us a little summary of that and then where they can find it. Yeah. So over here on uh, on a Project Skeptic, um, we try to find out, you know, who's a believer and who's a skeptic. Uh, we, we bring forth uh, topics all over different topics, you know, UFOs and exorcisms and conspiracies and all kinds of topics and See who uh, 
see who believes and who who doesn't. So that's the that was the main goal of the going forward in the show. And um, you can find us anywhere. You can find podcasts, you know, Apple and Spotify and. Uh, we have a website, projectskeptic.com that has the links to everything, all the socials, all the Facebooks and, uh, Instagrams and Twitch and stuff, you know, those, those type of things that are on the website, projectskeptic.com. You can even listen to the show there. There's links to listen to the show and, uh, yeah, that's the best way to find me. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have links to that in the show notes, uh, for, for anybody, uh, who is interested. And I, I would really highly recommend to check it out. I, um, so yeah, go check out projectskeptic.com. Um, Jay, thank you so much for your time today, uh, and, and sharing your story and being so generous with your time. Um, and you know, to everybody else out there, it's, I'll, I'll end with the same thing. Uh, buy stock and DeWalt. Uh, we, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just remember that no matter the situation, there's always room for kindness and grace. And I try to remind myself of that, especially when I'm being especially hard on myself, which means when I'm awake and most of the time when I'm dreaming. So there's always room for kindness and grace. And, um, we appreciate you listening. Um, again, if you'd like to be a guest, please email us at sad times K as in King C as in cat. So sad times KC at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on sad times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.